G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Well, firstly, thanks uh, Fiona for stepping in at late notice uh, to fill in um, for our Bible reader for today who's homesick looking after, um, well, not homesick, home looking after a, 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 a sick one. Um, and uh, I just noticed um, that it's good to see Marion back. Welcome back, Marion. It's been a long time. Uh, I'm not sure if you've made it back since COVID. Um, we'll pray for you a little bit later on with your ongoing recovery from your hip surgery, but it's lovely to see you this morning. I need my sermon notes. That's what I need. There we are. So we're, uh, we're continuing this series on prayer that we've uh, begun and uh, learning from the prayers of the New Testament as to how we can pray, how we can pray for one another and we're uh, again in Ephesians, so looking at uh, the city of Ephesus. Now, uh, so you, you might have a Bible map in your, in your Bible uh, at the end there, the city of Ephesus was in the broad region of uh, Asia Minor, it was among the first parts of our world to hear of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as it rang out from Jerusalem there in the first century, the message of the risen Messiah. Uh, It was a city, what was it like? It was full of pagan beliefs, like literal, actual idolatry, uh, and that was kind of one of their defining, identifying traits uh, as we read it in the book of Acts there. It was also one of the locations of the first riots brought about by the proclamation of the gospel. I'm not sure that that's a point for their fame. Uh, let me ask us this morning, if we, if you had been among, if we'd been on a mission team together there in the first century and we'd carried the message of the gospel to the city of Ephesus together, this pagan city full of idolatry, a, a really not particularly nice culture or context uh, and we had had the joy of seeing new people, new believers in the Lord Jesus, people come to faith for the very first time. Here's my question, when we left, how would we pray for them? What would be our prayer for them? Uh, some extraordinary things happened in Ephesus when the Gospel went there. Uh, let me read to you, if you're really quick, you might like to flick to Acts chapter 19, but I'll just read it to you, Acts chapter 19, verse 17. Uh, so, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practised sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, however much that is, but it sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Uh, In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. But as I mentioned, do you remember the story? Um, A riot began shortly thereafter. This was the kind of impact that the Gospel had there. Uh, And it began, do you remember why? Because the metal workers in that city saw that Uh, Well, they saw their income under threat. The death of idolatry was going to mean the death of their business. Friends, how do you pray for a people? How do you pray for a generation? Uh, How do you pray for a young church whose culture around them and whose countrymen around them stand against them and want to see them renounce the faith and go back to how they were, go back to how everyone else around them is? Then in Acts chapter 20, Paul, he makes this passing visit 
past Ephesus and he calls the elders to him, the elders of Ephesus to him and he predicts more trouble on the road ahead. In Acts 20 verse 25 we read, now I want, uh, this is Paul speaking to these men, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I haven't hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which He bought with His own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. How do you pray for the children of God in a challenging world, in a contrary culture? How do you pray? Well, let's... uh, How about we pray as we come to God's Word to us in Ephesians chapter 3, another one of Paul's prayers for the Ephesian church. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, uh, we turn to you now and we ask for your help and guidance, for your direction and even correction for our prayer lives for the Christians around us and beyond us and even for our commitment to prayer for ourselves and what we focus on. Lord God, we recognise uh, the, the world that's described there in the, in the book of Acts, the ancient world of Ephesus, a world where some believe to our joy, to our delight, and so many reject, and so many oppose, and malign your word and distort the truth. Father, would you teach us to pray today? Teach us to live today in a contrary culture. Teach us of Jesus today, would you please? And for His glory we ask it. Amen. So, when the going gets tough, uh, as it was there in Ephesus, uh, what is it that we need? What is it that we pray for? Perhaps we think what they need. What they need is a change of circumstance. That's what they need. They need things around them to change and that's what we'd pray for and so we pray and rightly so, God, would you take away their opposition? Would you silence the ridicule? Would you, um, uh, can't you make it stop, God? And that's a good thing to pray. Uh, perhaps we think uh, it's all in the decisions that we make, in the, our wisdom. Uh, we can't always control our circumstances, of course, and God doesn't take away all of the difficult circumstances of life. Uh, perhaps what we need uh, is to make good decisions. Will you Christian, will I, will we make good, wise, godly decisions, hard decisions, decisions marked by faithfulness, fidelity to the gospel, maybe that's what we need, a willingness to suffer for good and that is a good thing to pray for. Perhaps we think it's, it's all a matter of education, that's what we need to thrive in our Christian life, in contrary circumstances, I, I need to, to read the latest book that everyone's raving about, the evidence-based book, uh, learn the latest methodology and there is a place for that as well or perhaps we think, perhaps we're beginning to think, you know what, in the modern world, like in ancient Ephesus, maybe we're beginning to wonder if it's possible to live a thriving Christian life in a contrary culture, 
when things seem to be against us? Is it possible for the emerging generation to live a thriving, full Christian life, glorious Christian life in the present world? Maybe we're beginning to give up hope. How could they have possibly done it there in Ephesus with everything against them? Can Christian faith thrive in the modern world? Well, friends, uh, brothers and sisters this morning, Paul believed and Paul prayed that a life of spiritual thriving, my word, but fullness, his word, glory, his word, power, was absolutely within reach for the Christians in Ephesus in his day. And I put it to you that if it was within reach for them, uh, under the grace of God, then perhaps it lies within reach in our day too. But Paul's prayer, it reveals that it's not a change of circumstance that they need or we need, uh, much as we might long for that. It's not better decisions or evidence-based theories, important as they may be, uh, and nor is it a lost cause. Do you know what you need more of? Do you know what you should pray for more of? Do you know what I need more of? And we need to be praying for one another in our prayer lives through the week as we pray for one another as believers, as brothers and sisters. I think Paul's prayer is that the Ephesian Christians, that they need more of God. They need more of Him. They need more of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. They need more of His gospel, more of His love filling them up, more of His glory seizing their their vision and their view of the world and who they will be and who they already are. Are we willing to pray for one another and live for ourselves the truth, the truth that we need more of Him, of Christ? If we are to thrive as His children in this challenging world, I think that's what this prayer shows us. So, what I'd like to do is, is reread uh, the whole prayer from verse 14 of chapter 3. It's, it's only very short. Then, what I'm going to do is circle back around uh, for a little while and make three points from that prayer. Uh, So, let's read from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, I've said that we need more of God in our lives. I think that's to sum up that prayer. We need more of Him. Uh, Let me break that down. I'm going to say, firstly, uh, we need uh, good news that drives us to our knees. That's what we need to find in God. Good news that drives us to our knees. We need, secondly, power that fills our lives full. And thirdly, we need glory that places Him ahead of us. Or to swing that around the other way, that puts us in our place before who our God really is. That's where we're going to go. And here, uh, firstly, good news that drives us to our knees. Um, I'd just like to ask... Uh, 
from where ordinarily in your prayer life, just think about it for yourself, from where comes your strongest motivation for prayer? What is it that moves you, generally speaking, uh, to prayer most powerfully? From where comes our strongest motivation to pray? I pray when um, I'm desperate for something. I pray when I've sinned. And even though it's hard, I know that I've got to bring it to the Lord. And so I'll pray when I've sinned. I'll pray when um, I'm sick. I'll pray when, when you're sick because there I, I feel powerless, right? What can I do but appeal to God on your behalf for your return to good health? Uh, I pray, when do we pray? I pray when we have conflict in, in my own family home uh, or even outside the family home, amongst my brothers and sisters, amongst my friends. We pray, sometimes it's just the discipline of it, isn't it? Uh, pray in the morning, pray at the dinner table. You know, the, what is it that moves us to prayer? ordinarily and most powerfully. From where comes your strongest motivation to pray? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14, for this reason, for this reason, writes Paul, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its... Paul, for what reason? (laughs) Let's cast our eyes back up the page. I think what we find is, it is the gospel, it is the good news of Jesus itself that drives Paul to his knees, that is his motivator to prayer, that is what moves him to prayer, that is why he prays for these battling Christians in a pagan city. So, just cast your eyes back up the page, or it might be to the previous page for you, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, where Paul actually begins to pray there and he gets sidetracked, it's this wonderful little uh, moment in the letter to the Ephesians, so, chapter 3, verse 1, exactly the same words, isn't it? For this reason... Uh, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and then he immediately gets sidetracked because he wants to hook back around and tell them again, he's got to explain to them again why he's so gripped for their sake, for what reason, he he sort of spells that out some more, why he's driven to prayer. Then down in verse 6, he summarises it in these words, this mystery is that through the Gospel, the Gentiles, remember many of the Ephesians were Gentiles, that is non-Jews, they weren't historically part of the, the people of God, the Jewish people, uh, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise uh, in Christ Jesus. Or in fact, you can go back up the page a bit further, chapter 2, verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is uh, done in the body by human hands, in other words, the historic people of God, the Jewish people uh, who were marked, uh, the the men were marked by circumcision. Verse 12, remember that at, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world, What a thought that is, actually, without God in the world. That's who they were. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For this reason, says Paul. Chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Jewish families now, Gentile families, 
formerly idol worshipping, far from God, perhaps even like Paul, Christian hating God, whoever you are, whoever you are, do you see what God has done through the blood of Christ? He's brought you near. And that reason stands still today. He's brought you near through the blood of Christ, whoever you are. That's where Paul begins. He begins on his knees before the throne of heaven because it is only before the throne of heaven that there is an us to be praying for. That's where he finds his brothers and sisters. God made us who we are. And if God has done the work, then to whom else shall we go? But to him when we uh, uh, seek the good of our brothers and sisters. Folks, I think it's good to be moved to prayer by compassion. I think it's, it is good to be moved to, to prayer for the sake of just the good care and, and well-being of our brothers and sisters um, and even for non-Christians, of course. It is good to be moved by our own affections to prayer for our family and our loved ones. All of those are good motivators to prayer. But let us be moved by the gospel. Let's not lose sight of that. The gospel of God, for it is He more than any other who desires that our loved ones thrive and that our children persevere in the faith and that our uh, faithfulness, our own faithfulness remain firm through the fiercest storm. It's Him. You see where it all begins? Moved to our knees. But secondly, and this might sound strange, but it's what Paul says here, if we're to thrive in our Christian lives and if our children are and their children, if Christians are to thrive in their Christian lives, do you know what you need? We need power. That's what it says. We need real power. I'm not sure that's what we normally think of. Power that is above us and beyond us and before us. Power that will fill our lives full. That's Paul's conviction here. He says it twice, actually. Uh, in other words, you can't do it on your own, Christian. You need power from outside of you. We need to pray for one another, prayers for power in one another's lives. Are we doing that? You'll notice two things. Paul says two things about power here. Let's take a look together. Power that fills our lives full. Uh, we'll read from verse 14 to 19. Both instances are in these verses and then we'll draw them out one at a time. So from verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Can we take a look at verse 16 for a moment together? Because that sounds, to my ears, it just sounds a bit strange what's being prayed for there. Does it seem that way to you? Why? Uh, why do we need power so that Christ may dwell in our hearts? 
through faith. And, and, and by the way, it, it, if we'd read all the way through from the start of Ephesians, we'd see that we all have the Holy Spirit already, it's not that, and it, we already have Christ dwelling with us, it's not that we don't have Him at all, it seems to be an in-increasing measure kind of a thing that's going on here. But nevertheless, why do we need power for that to be possible? May I just draw a quick distinction here, give us a little illustration that I hope will help. It's this, I think there is a world of difference between having Christ dwell in your heart, at home in your life, a permanent, welcome kind of member of your inner household, if I can put it that way. I think there is a world of difference between that and uh, maybe this is too flippant, but uh, a world of difference between that and just having Christ for a sleepover at your place, in your heart. Uh, let, let me put it in, this, in these terms. How many of you, uh, maybe don't raise your hands because um, uh, of where I go next, um, how many of you have had your adult children um, come to live with you recently? Um, quite a few of you, I understand, from uh, what's been going on in life and maybe they're doing... Uh, Renault's at their place and uh, they needed a place to stay um, under other circumstances. They might have been travelling, maybe there's some difficulty going on at home or maybe they just need support. There are all sorts of reasons why you might have had your adult children staying with you in recent times. Or you may have been the adult children who have been staying at mum and dad's place or uh, mum and dad-in-law's place. It's been a little while actually since um, Katie and I have done that. We, we used to stay, we used to do it fairly regularly because when we lived in Sydney, um, 2007 to 2009, uh, at, when I was at, uh, you know, Bible College, um, Theological University, uh, we'd come back for summer and we'd stay with either Kate's parents or my parents um, and uh, how would you describe it? How would you describe it? It was really good for a time. Am I right? Is that roughly how it is? It's so, there are so many good things about it for a while. And, uh, you know, speaking of my own parents and parents-in-law, you know, they were lovely. They were welcoming. They, they made space for us. They kind of rearranged their life for us. Uh, to their credit, I think they did a, a marvellous job. They, they kind of, you know how each household has its certain rules, its ways of doing things, and I could see that they kind of bent them and relaxed them and sort of moved around to accommodate our little family life. They babysat for us, of course, all of those things, but by the end, though, <laughs> we were ready to go home. And I guess, I'm guessing that uh, by the end of you having your kids stay with you, you were ready for them to go home. You're ready for, to have your home back to being your home again. Friends, I think that's why you and I, we need power. The power of the living God who has united himself to us forever. Uh, not just to have Jesus come and dwell in our hearts for a little while under a temporary arrangement for as sort of as long as we can tolerate it, no, but for him to rearrange the furniture of our hearts, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Do you see? It's a total reorientation of our lives and our hearts and our desires and our passions and everything that's even more disruptive than just having the adult kids and, and, their, and the grandkids come and stay with us for a while. 
It's a change of who we are and how we are in the world. Of course we need the power of God. Will that take the power of God to remake my heart, to be fit for Christ to dwell in it? Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. They don't need a change of circumstance. The Ephesians don't need to learn to make better decisions or they may need both of those things. They need the furniture of their heart rearranged in the power of God's spirit so that I'm a home for Jesus, that you're a dwelling place, that you're where he is at home. But we need something else. We need another power. So let's keep, it's all of the same power of God, you understand, but power in a different connection. Uh, Power for something else. uh, What is it for this time from verse 17? So halfway through verse 17, we read this. Uh, Paul prays, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, all right, they're already rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. Notice that it's powered together, It's not just me on my own, to grasp this expansive, tremendous love of God towards us in Christ Jesus. How does that work? What does that mean? Um, This week I read a particularly um, arresting story in in connection with this and it's one of those ones that I'm almost reluctant to share because it's, um, uh, for some of us I imagine it grips the heart, it certainly... um, did for me and uh, it's a story from uh, Don Carson tells the story, wonderful biblical uh, teacher, he tells the story about two of his friends Perry and Sandy and I'm going to tell it anyway even though it is um, uh, potentially quite moving for some of us because I think it gets at this, the effect of um, experiencing love and its, its transformative effect on our hearts. So he tells the story about two of his friends, Perry and Sandy, who are foster parents, right? Uh, Some of you know very well about that. Uh, Here's the story. Perry Downs and his wife, Sandy, have for years served as foster parents. Most of the children they've helped, now well over 20, have been newborns and have stayed with them until adopted. But some years ago, the agency with whom they're connected asked them to take in twin 18-month-old boys. Perry and Sandy hesitated, right, because they were used to newborns, weren't they? And they were used to one at a time. But they agreed to accept them when the agency assured them that the boys would be with them only for about six weeks. The first night in the Downs home, the boys were put to bed and not a peep came from their bedroom. 18 months old. Curious, Perry crept into their room a half hour later He found both boys wide awake, their pillows wet with tears, but neither was making a sound. It transpired that they had been beaten for crying in several of the homes in which they had been placed before coming to Perry's and Sandy's. This was their ninth home. Testing suggested that the twins were irremediably damaged emotionally and intellectually. As it happened, the twins stayed with Perry and Sandy 
for close to two years. By the time they were adopted, they were judged within the normal range of intellectual and emotional capacity. Now I suspect that I've lost just about every mother in the room, haven't I? And some of the dads, I hope that's not an unfair kind of generalisation to make. I, just, I think it's that mothers, more than perhaps anyone, they know the impact of love on the, on the life of the one loved or the withholding of love on the life of the one loved. You know the effect that really experiencing love has on a little one. Christian, brother or sister, come back to Ephesians with me, would you please? Do you really know the impact of God's love on you? Do you know what effect it has on your brothers and sisters that they might know, experience, be transformed by, be filled up with more and more, grasping the love of God toward them in Christ Jesus? Will that change your life? Will that change your heart? Will that change the man or woman that you become? It had certainly changed Perry and Sandy, hadn't it? Then let's make this our prayer, that they, that we, verse 18, may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. That's how a Christian thrives, isn't it? That's how a Christian becomes full and glorious, steeped in the love of Jesus for us, drenched in that truth and deliberately sort of saturating our lives and our minds in the truth of the gospel. Saturated in a love that never runs out or grows cold, that you're never going to sort of run to the, find the end of. Will you... Dwell on the love of God in Christ for you and will you keep doing that and keep doing that? Then finally, Paul has uh, brought us to a place where I think God is in his proper place in our lives and we in our proper place before him. The gospel actually helps us thrive, you see, not by making a whole lot of us but by making a whole lot of God and all he's done for us in Christ and all all he is continuing to do. So let's just listen to the last uh, words of uh, the prayer. Paul, he he loves the Ephesians. He wants to see them thrive. He longs for their flourishing and, and gosh, they're up against it. But they aren't the biggest thing in his world, are they? Verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do we long for spiritually thriving, God-loving, Jesus-adoring people in our church? Do we desire that for one another? Is that our prayer for each other? when we pray for one another and do we desire that for the, the, uh, the world beyond us, then it seems to me that we need to let ourselves glory in the God who can do it, who can bring it about. 
who can do it, in fact, do more in us and more through us than it says we can even imagine. Isn't that a lovely thought? Uh, Let me close with one final uh, word of warning and and a connected sort of word of urging. Uh, So, uh, Carson again, Don Carson, he he points this warning out to us. um, In our world, sort of self-help and personal improvement projects and finding our fit and who I am in life, and he, he makes this point, he says, it is sad to think that even this late in the prayer, we might stumble rather badly. But that is the case. It is possible to ask for good things, for bad reasons. We may desire the power of God so to operate in our lives that we may become holy, we may ask for power to grasp the limitless dimensions of the love of God and yet distort those good requests by envisaging that their fulfilment uh, will happen within a, in a framework in which the, the entire universe revolves around our improvement. It's all about me. It's all about me becoming the best me that I can be. Friends, I am not, and you are not, the all-glorious, spectacular pinnacle of existence. Do you know that? Don't live that way. Don't think that way. Uh, Yes, God has bent His saving will to your benefit. He has. And yes, the blood of Jesus flowed for you. It did. What an extraordinary thought. And yes, His power even now works in you to make you more like Christ and more the man or woman or boy or girl that He would have you be and become. Yes, all of those things. But the glory is His. And the power is His. And the imagination, this is my final kind of urging uh, and thought, the imagination to make you what you need to be is His. It's even beyond us. You cannot imagine the beautiful creature that you will one day become in the power of God. You can't imagine it. You can't picture it. We cannot behold yet the world as it will one day be. Oh, we will see it one day and the glory will be to His because it'll be better than we can imagine. Our vision and our hope for one another and for the mission of Jesus and for the repair of everything that's broken around us, our vision is far smaller than the reality that He is bringing it to in Christ. Now, to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, when we long for a thriving Christian life, we confess that even then our dreams are too small. When we pray for one another, we confess that our hopes are less than the reality that you have in store. And, but still, we pray. And more, we want to be a people of prayer like that. So fill us, O oh God, fill us with the power by your Spirit to have Christ dwell in us more and more, just as he already does. Fill us with the power to grasp a love that we know will transform us and keep transforming us. Father, too often we fixate on trinkets and obsessions and jealousies and desires that are so much less than the expansive love of Jesus to our dying world.
and our sinful hearts. God, would you remodel our hearts and our loves to the measure of His. And Father, set your glory and your power and your coming kingdom ahead of us to beckon us onward and homeward together. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.